a lot of business owners that I work with want to sell to their employees through what's called an employee stock ownership plan. Unfortunately, a lot of these business owners just don't understand what an ESOP means. I wanted to bring on a couple friends of mine that deal with ESOPs regularly. I contacted Cat Sapper and Miller, which is a Indianapolis-based CPA firm, and had Andy Mancher and Mark Flincham to come on and answer all those questions that I regularly get as to whether or not an ESOP's right for me. So please enjoy my conversation with Andy Mancher and Mark Flincham. Today, 80% of businesses don't sell. To be a part of the 20% that do, and at maximum value, you'll need a successful strategy. Welcome to the Defenders of Business Value podcast, where we interview today's top professional advisors who help business owners create, preserve, and most importantly, transfer value. If you want actionable tips that will increase your business value, stay tuned. The podcast starts now. I'm your host, Ed Meisigland. I teach business owners how to identify and remove risks in their business so they can sell at maximum value when they want, how they want, and most importantly, to whom they want. On today's show, I'm excited to welcome Andy Mancher and Mark Flincham of Cat Sapper and Miller. So to begin with, let's talk a little bit about Andy. Andy is a director at Cat Sapper and Miller's Valuation and ESOP Services Group. Andy provides valuation and ESOP advisory services for various purposes with particular emphasis on employee stock ownership plan services. Andy graduated from Indiana University. Andy is a certified management accountant, a certified exit planning advisor, and is a member of the National Center for Employee Ownership and is accredited member of the American Society of Appraisers. Mark is a partner at Katzapper and Miller. He started with the firm in 1987 upon graduating from Indiana University. He is a trusted business and tax advisor to his clients. His expertise includes strategic tax planning, business analysis and structuring, advocacy in IRS matters, and consulting and financial statement issues. Mark has been involved in assisting clients with growth opportunities, financing, structure, and succession planning issues. He has significant experience in planning, structuring, and negotiating M&A transactions. Mark represents several ESOP-owned businesses and has structured a number of business sales to existing and newly formed ESOPs. As I mentioned, Mark is a CPA and is also a member of the American Trucking Associations and the Ohio Trucking Association. Mark serves as Vice President of the Board of the Indiana Chapter of ESOP Association and is a board member and treasurer for the Miller Backers. Uh, Welcome to the show, Mark and Andy. Well, thanks, Ed. Uh, Thanks for having Andy and I on your program. A little bit about Catsapper and Miller. We're a a, a large regional firm located in Indianapolis, 350 employees or so with offices, of course, here in Indianapolis, New York, uh, Fort Wayne, new office in Louisville, Kentucky, and a specialty office in our transportation space in Oklahoma City. Uh, Specific to our ESOP practice, uh, Andy and I formed our ESOP services group in 2011. Uh, mainly, Andy is working on the valuation side, and I've been working on the accounting and tax side. And we were doing it long before then, uh, but we realized that if we combined our efforts, uh, we'd have an opportunity to, to go to market where we can service our clients in, in a multiple uh, disciplines, multiple services we could b- bring to the ESOP community. 
that's how we got started with our ESOP services group. And Andy's been working with ESOPs a lot longer than I have. He can tell you a little bit about what he's doing. Sure. I joined Cat Saffer Miller in 2007 after starting my business valuation career with an independent uh, investment banking and valuation firm. And I was excited to come to KSM because Cat Saffer Miller is an ESOP company itself. And so we're a uh, employee-owned uh, public accounting and consulting firm that way. So when we work with a business owner about ESOPs, we'll talk about it from the perspective of other client experiences that we've seen. Plus, we get to explain it from the context of our own ESOP because we've been employee-owned at KSM for almost 20 years. ESOP services dovetails real well into our practice group as a as an accounting firm, we work with closely held uh, family-owned businesses. That's the, the meat and potatoes of our practice. Uh, and those are the, the people that are looking for succession plans to the next generation, selling to third parties, or selling to their employees. And that's where Andy and I come in. Well, let's just start at the very beginning then. Uh, explain what exactly is an ESOP and how it works, what are the mechanics, and why business owners should consider even using it. Sure. Uh, ESOP, let's explain the acronym first. It's an employee stock ownership plan. So this ESOP owns stock in the sponsoring company. What happens is, let's say you're an employer, you've uh, you know been looking at your various options. You can create this retirement plan as an employee benefit of your company. And then that employee benefit plan can buy your stock. Now this employee benefit plan called ESOP it can buy 100% of the stock. That's the circumstance with us at Cat Sapper and Miller. We're 100% owned by our ESOP. But we have plenty of clients who uh, have the ESOP buy a portion. It can own a minority or a control uh, percentage of the company's stock. <clears throat> and once this ESOP owns your company's stock, there are a number of tax benefits that Mark will explain later. But I kind of view it like it's a form of doing a management buyout but in a more tax-favored way. And it's a good alternative uh, for business owners who want to look to get liquidity for their stock, get a good value for it, but not necessarily sell to a third party for any number of reasons. Yeah, we've, we've had a number of clients that have looked at selling to third parties and owners have built their life building these businesses. Uh, and, and a lot of times they're in communities where there are a very large employer in the community, very important to the commu community, and the selling shareholder owner knows if he sells to a third party, there may be a strong likelihood or, or, or even it's in the plans that if they sell, that that buyer is going to close that facility and consolidate in other locations. And the owners understand how important these businesses are to the communities and want those their legacy to live on, want those businesses to stay in those communities, and an ESOP is a perfect structure for uh, those businesses to stay there with the employee ownership and maintaining those jobs in that community. Everybody immediately says, well, I can just do an ESOP, and I know it's not that simple. So can you tell me, you know, the likely candidate for an ESOP look like? So for once and for all, we can say, all right, I know that they're not absolutes, but here are, here are the three things that you have to have to have an optimal ESOP situation? Well, I, you, you, I think to start with, you have to have an owner that, that wants to transition ownership to the, to the employees and is, is bought into the ESOP structure. That's going to that's gonna be important. 
the other thing is, you know, nothing's free. There needs to be some way to finance the transaction, debt capacity, be it either by borrowing from third parties or uh, a seller who's interested in taking uh, back seller notes to help finance the transaction. And there's a lot of ways that that can be structured. But there has to be debt capacity. It, it's very difficult if the company is very heavily leveraged to make an ESOP work from that standpoint. A lot of times I think one of the most important factors is after you get past the debt capacity is do you have a management team that is capable of running the business and going forward within that employee group? They're going to be the future leaders of that company to make that ESOP successful. And it's very important to have an ESOP structure plan that the ESOP will be successful going forward, not only financially, but from a management standpoint. And those are probably very closely tied to begin with. Yeah, I was just going to add, Ed, this is Andy, I was going to simply add that, you know, headcount matters. This doesn't work for a super small business, maybe the, you know, Main Street level business, maybe too small. You probably need a good employee base of 20 or 30, you know, well-paid employees or maybe up to a payroll of 50 is a good threshold if you've got a lot of hourly wage workers uh, in your employee base. The reason being, this is an employee benefit, so the larger your payroll, the larger the tax savings that can accrue to you as an ESOP company. I'm sorry, I was going to add, and it, and it probably goes without saying, but maybe you should add here, ESOPs work with profitable companies. If it's a company that's had a history of losses and, and you uh, have a seller looking for an exit strategy to sell the ESOP because no longer wants to fight the battles of, 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 of cash flow shortfalls, that, that's not going to, an ESOP's not going to work to solve that problem. Yeah, no, it doesn't solve anybody's problem. What, um, is there a particular type of business that an ESOP works well for? I know for obviously professional uh, service firms like Catsnap or Miller, it has. We see it in a lot of different industries, Ed. I think you're right that professional services is a logical fit for employee ownership because those are the employees who probably are skilled professionals that can go to any number of companies. And if you can offer them stock in the place they work, it's a way to differentiate yourself from others. So we've seen that be, you know, a, a nice fe feature of being employee-owned. You know, it's, the, it's a retention and employee attraction tool. So industries where you're trying to keep good workers, be it construction, be it, um, you know, especially trade, be it uh, transportation and trucking, you know, where, where, you know, it's hard to find the employees they need right now, uh, we see ESOPs being very successful. Conversely, maybe the only industry I don't see it for is really like, you know, medical practices where the doctors tend to own the businesses, that does not fit this. And probably tech startups where maybe you've got losses, you don't have current year profits, but you've got maybe a great technology that someone will buy, uh, that fits more of a third-party sale model than an ESOP model. Another industry would probably be real estate, uh, obviously, where you own capital and it's heavily leveraged. Although we have seen ESOPs with uh, real estate management companies like uh, operations that manage hotels, manage yep. property, again, kind of more of a professional type of a, of a business. Now we we've seen some construction companies, and when we when we bring up the idea of, hey, have you have you explored the idea of an ESOP? A lot of the pushback that comes to us, it, you know, as far as you know, no, let's go third-party route. It's, look, there's no one in my organization that could possibly run this company other than me. <laughs> and so 
you know, how do you how do you get around that as far as the skill set? I don't mean business acumen. I mean, how does an employee embrace owning part of their company that they work for? You know what I mean? I, I mean, can can you talk a, a little bit about how you bridge that gap? Other than just saying, look, this is just like any other retirement asset. You just happen to own part of your company. Well, and I would actually kind of agree with those business owners. Now, the, the, the one part that's ironic is sometimes I've seen business owners, they have a lower opinion of the, the ability of their folks to run the place than outside advisors to that business owner do. You know, I've experienced that where they say, oh, we don't have anybody that can run this place. And their lawyer or their CPA or others would, would beg to differ, or people in the industry might beg to differ. So I would, I would uh, ask those business owners to kind of think about their self-awareness or, or ask for a third party to help them assess the quality of their leadership team. Uh, and then if they really like the ESOP, but they're just not convinced they've got the people, the right people on the bus, to use that phrase, then go hire them. We had one ESOP client uh, who did form their deal Early on, we identified that they needed a COO. They had a president, they had other functional leaders in the business, but they didn't have a good number two who could really take over for that president when the president retired. So as part of the ESOP transaction, we spent time interviewing both internal and external candidates for that position. Oh, so you go that you you go that far into it where not only are you structuring and help develop it, you're you're you go so far as to work with perhaps that next future leader. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we're not um, you know management training consultants per se. We might bring in those kind of experts if that's what the company needs but we've seen enough ESOP formations to know if there's a gap there, let's bring in the right expertise uh, to fill that gap, either recruit or take someone and help give them the training they need to grow into that, that role. And, and that gap's not hard to identify for uh, in a number of ways. Some of the ESOPs we've helped form have been longtime KSM clients. Uh, and so we have firsthand knowledge and, and maybe have been working on this even before they've thought about ESOP just as a continuation of the business and strengthening the business just is not an ESOP, just as a going concern. And, you know, there's a, there's a number of professionals at the table when you're forming an ESOP, and if there's an apparent or an obvious lack in uh, management or skills that they need, that would not only be identified by us as we're working through a transaction, but I can guarantee if the banker is coming up to lend millions of dollars on a transaction, they're going to do their due diligence too. And, and we work as a team with the professionals that are brought in on an ESOP structure on many matters, but including do is the management team, what does it look like? Are we going to be successful going forward? I guess um, my next question, I wanted to talk about the value. So many business owners think that the sale to a third, that they're using their employees as to get a premium value over and above what they could get as a third party value. All right. So can you can you talk a little bit about the differences in, in business value? Uh, Andy's the valuation guy, but I'll, I'll start off when we were talking about uh, what what the candidates make uh, that are good ESOP candidates. And, and one of those ought to be is that the, the owner is not looking to drive the highest value because a lot of times a third party, a strategic buyer, can offer a higher price than what the ESOP can, can pay because ESOP can only afford to pay what the cash flows are going to be able to to pay for the company. And so if we have an owner that's trying to get the largest price they can get for their company, 
uh, he's probably not a good ESOP candidate, but I will qualify that to say that don't be uh, don't be lured by the uh, by the large price. We did have a transaction that Andy and I worked on where we did have a third party. They, both, the company was looking at both a transaction with a third party and possibly an ESOP, and we had a third party come in with a purchase price that was 20, 25 percent higher than what the ESOP could justifiably pay. And when you run through the, all the tax attributes of it that an ESOP has, the net after-tax proceeds of an ESOP sale generated about 10% more than the third-party sale would have generated. So you, you can't be, uh, uh, you can't just look at the purchase price. You really have to dig into the detail and see what does that, what does that mean in real cash to the seller. I think uh, you know Ed's podcast is focused on helping the owners, you know, look at maximum value. And so I'll have, I would encourage the owners to think about maximum value in two ways. Number one, always think your maximum value on an after-tax basis because, as Mark explained, he's our CPA who does that analysis for the client. Just the highest price doesn't always get you the maximum value. You may have to sell assets instead of selling stock. You may have other tax attributes that can help you net more at close through an ESOP. A case in point is uh, a section of the tax code known as Section 1042. This is the section of the code that allows a C-corporation shareholder to sell stock to this ESOP plan and defer the capital gains on sale. And we've even seen circumstances where the business owner, Ed, sells their stock, invests the money, you know, per this tax uh, section, section 1042. If they never spend or, or break into those assets that have the low basis, and if those assets transfer to their heirs when they die, the basis will step up they will never pay capital gains tax. And so it's a really powerful planning tool. Doesn't fit everybody, but when it does, it can maximize their value. Yeah. And you know what? You you bring up an excellent point and I've been dodging it, but let's dig into it. So the tax benefit. I know there's there's a slew of benefit to an ESOP. Can you give me the the elementary version of all the tax benefit of this vehicle of transfer? Well, I would tell you, and Andy hit a little bit on this, that if I'm a selling shareholder, ESOP can only buy stock. So buying stock is going to be taxed as capital gain to the extent that your your sales price is higher than your tax basis, you're going to pay capital gain. Whereas most third-party sales we see, uh, the buyer is looking to buy assets. And uh, sale of assets have an ordinary uh, recapture, ordinary tax to them. And the reason the, the buyer, a third-party buyer, would want to buy assets is they want to get the step up to the fair market value of those assets, which means future depreciation on those assets will offset future taxable income. And under the Tax Reform Act, in many cases, those fixed assets could be 100% deducted in the year of acquisition. So there's a real push by third-party sellers to buy assets instead of stock, whereas ESOP, again, can only buy stock. So that's, that's a benefit to the seller because he's going to pay less tax. As an ESOP, particularly as an S-Corp ESOP, that in, and if you're 100% ESOP, we'll say in this case, uh, your, your income is tax-exempt from federal taxes. 100% uh, flow-through S-Corp ESOP pays no federal taxes. Now, they still may incur state taxes, uh, not state income taxes, but states have gotten cl clever. States are hungry for revenues, and you, an ESOP will still be subject to excise taxes, franchise taxes, doing business taxes, commercial activity type taxes, but still that federal tax savings of being an ESOP, flow through S-Corp ESOP, uh, is, is pretty powerful in helping to finance the transaction. Those are the biggies that we talk about um, 
when we talk about tax advantages of an ESOP. We do have some ESOPs, very few, that may be C corporations, and they, they incur tax just as a, any other C corporation would. And there can be a, reasons for why an ESOP might be a C corporation, at least for a short period of time. So I'm a business owner, and and I think I want to to go the ESOP route. I've, I've, I've checked all the boxes. Do you have to have buy-in from the employees? Tell me about how, how is this a, a sell from the business owner to the employees, or is this... Is this something that you do? How How is this communicated to the employees that this is a real good thing for you? That's a good question, Ed, um, and it's one that maybe people don't always understand. This ESOP plan is a retirement plan, and retirement plans are held inside a trust. So the, the for- formation of the ESOP isn't dependent upon any one employee, like, getting into their own pocket and rolling over their money, Okay. You don't even have to have your employee base aware that you're doing it until after you form it. (laughs) In all honesty, um, instead what you would do is you would form an employee stock ownership plan and trust. You would hire an outside trustee. Now this trustee looks out for the benefit of the employees who will benefit from the plan. And that person carries a fiduciary duty. And that's an important term that people keep hearing more about in the financial marketplace. But the reason you can do this without really involving the employees directly is because we've got an ESOP plan and trust, and we bring in a trustee to make sure that the, that trustee reviews the valuation. They hire someone who's independent of the company to appraise the stock. They review the transaction documents and make sure what they're seeing fits, you know, like what would be a good market-level kind of deal for the ESOP plan to buy the stock. So, Ed, uh, Andy's actually done a number of rollout meetings for ESOP companies we've helped create over the years, and uh, and I've been at a number of those. And there's always a there's always a question and answer type of part to these rollouts. And I remember one we did. A, a, an employee stood up and says, well, "What if I don't want to be in the ESOP?" You know, and and the answer to that is is, "Well, why wouldn't you want to be? You're not paying anything for it. The company's making all the contributions on your behalf." And all you got to do is do your job well, uh, think, think like you're a company owner, you're now an employee owner, and help drive that business, that value of that stock up that gets valued every year, and you're going to benefit when you retire. And uh, that employee said, oh, okay, I get it, so I want to belong. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You want to belong because, in essence, this plan is buying the stock, not individual employees. I don't hold any stock certificate that says KSN stock but I'm an employee owner of KSM through my ESOP plan. I get an annual benefit statement, just like other folks might have seen from their IRA or their 401k. And my ESOP statement says I've got this many shares of ownership, uh, and when I retire or become disabled or pass away, the ESOP plan will buy back my shares at the annual appraised value. And so those employees get an annual valuation done on their behalf to make sure any buyouts happen at a, a current market price. Well, speaking of buyout, when the business owner wants to exit, so they want to be out of the business 100%, and they want to take equity out of the business, so 
So there's a loan or something to make that happen. Are the employees now personally guaranteed to repay that loan? Or how, how does indebtedness work with an ESOP? Yeah, how does indebtedness work for an ESOP? In essence, Ed, we don't have the employees provide any of their own personal guarantee. That way they're not on the hook for anything. By the same token, that might limit how much a business can borrow. Because at its heart, this is a leveraged buyout, a, a leveraged transaction to buy share. It's why we often see you know, this work for a company that doesn't have other debt on its balance sheet, because we want the credit worthiness of the company to um, allow the loan to come from a, a third-party bank. And what's nice is you know, uh, the credit markets being what they are in 2019, there's a healthy market for lending activity on ESOP formation. And again, that's, that can vary over time, but the credit worthiness of the company is what matters there, Ed, not any one employee borrowing money on their own. This is a good alternative to not force them to do that. So if a business owner is saying, you know what, I, w- I want out 100%, I'm, I'm done with it, this is probably not the ideal situation for him. Yeah, not, 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 I agree. Not, it, ESOP doesn't work if they want 100% buyout like year one. It's best for maybe the business owner that's like, well, I'm, you know, I'm looking to work another five years and I'm trying to work out on which, you know, which of these options make sense for me. We love the ESOP in those circumstances, Ed, because they can get maybe a portion of the value now in cash based on the borrowing capacity of the business. And then maybe a portion of that purchase price is paid over time in the form of a seller note to them. Or they sell some stock now and some stock later. You know, let's sell I've got one ESOP formation currently where we're selling one third of the stock now, 33%, because we can borrow that comfortably and safely. And then we think in three to five years time, we'll go back to the well and do a second stage transaction. That way the company, if it continues to grow in value, the uh, owners will get the uh, current valuation for the stock. So what a nice way to kind of align the sale of the company with their exit plan in terms of when they want to stop working. If an owner is looking to do a 100% ESOP transaction, our experience has been that they need prepared to take some sort of seller financing, anywhere from 10 to 50% of the transaction value. Uh, I think we see most of that end up in the 20, 25% range. So it, it, to your question about get out 100%, it, it's going to be real difficult to get 100% out of the company and get 100% of your money. Uh, with an ESOP transaction. Are, are you seeing ESOPs that are that you've done a decade ago that are now moving into a different stage where they're actually being sold? Uh, yeah, in fact, I've been involved with two in the last two and a half, three years. Uh, one, a more mature ESOP, and one that was a fairly new ESOP. And uh, so there, there is a, I mean, they sell just like any other company. Uh, would uh, a privately held company would sell you know you do have to typically the way that works is that an offer is presented to the board of directors who then approve that and pass it on to the trustee and there's governance in there about how that might be approved I mean remember Andy you talked about how the trustee is looking out for the benefit of the participants so he's going to be very attuned to what that offer is and how that compares to the value of the company and in the cases I've been involved with the, the offer is is usually significantly higher than what the last valuation of the ESOP stock was, which, again, part of that is if a, a trustee is looking out for the benefit of the employees, he's not going to undersell the company, and he's probably not even going to sell it for what it's valued at. But a premium offer is going to be something they're going to seriously consider. 
after an ESOP's formed, who who runs it? I mean, has the management structure changed at all, or is it and the ESOPs all behind the scenes, or does management change? Well, Ed, think of the ESOP transaction as taking care of the ownership succession, right? Who holds the shares? But the ESOP does not necessarily solve or or, or fix the management succession. So. What we often see is day one after the ESOP's formed, little change in terms of how the day-to-day management function works, but the ESOP should be formed in conjunction with your eventual plan there. You know, perhaps the current company founder or, or CEO wants to work a certain number of years. That would be negotiated as part of the deal. They might have a employment agreement that they sign at the ESOP's formation, that they will work for a certain period of time afterwards. And so in time, Ed, the question of who manages and who runs the ESOP company, it kind of starts to look like a well-run corporate governance model from a publicly traded company. You know, you want to have a board of directors. And oftentimes the board of directors for this ESOP company might have one or more independent directors, like you see for larger businesses. Those people are there to help the officers of the business and make sure they're thinking outside the box, make sure they're fill in the functional needs that the company has. And so in that respect, it becomes more professionally managed, if that makes sense, and not just managed for return, you know, by one or more individuals that have historically owned the company. I honestly think that that's one reason ESOP companies perform so well. We've got academic research we've seen by, um, by business uh, schools that have found employee-owned companies often grow faster than non-employee-owned companies. Uh, they've had better returns, better uh, safety records, lower employee turnover. Any other kind of like quantifiable measure they find, they generally show that employee-owned companies outperform. And I think part of that's because they've got this culture of being run for efficiency, being run for best performance. I've seen the same studies. I know what you're talking about. And and again, I I think it's a a, a wonderful solution. It's just one of those things of being able to say, what does my business need to look like in order for me to take advantage of this transfer method? And I think you guys have have shared that. Uh, How do banks look at ESOPs? I mean, I I don't, uh, can can you get SBA financing or that's probably a little, little lower on the, on the lending scale or is it all conventional and private placement money? How does capital work in an ESOP? Sure. I think that SBA lending can be done on ESOPs. In fact, uh, in 2018, the Main Street uh, Employment Act was passed by Congress with bipartisan support. Not something we always see in our Congress these days, but we had we had bipartisan support. Uh, you know, both parties behind a bill that in, was meant to expand uh, the SBA's ability to finance ESOP deals. But that being said, historically, it's a conventional financing loan, you know, a commercial business loan. And in that sense, like I said before, the company's got to be credit worthy. Uh, An ESOP commercial loan has to work like a non-ESOP commercial loan does, as their cash flow and as their collateral. The difference being these days in 2019, banks understand these tax advantages and the well-run banks, the smart ones, are folding in those tax advantages that Mark discussed about saving on the income taxes at their Nest Corp and the like, and the, and the smart banks know that will help your ESOP company pay the loan back better. And this is 
Just something I was I was curious to know. Do you know how many ESOPs are formed each year? I mean, is it 500 or is it 5,000? Closer to the 500 and the 5,000. You know, I think the last data we have from a, a trade group said that there's less than 10,000 ESOPs all around the country, you know. Uh, so it's definitely a niche, uh, a, a small niche that way. So you want to work with people that have got experience in that niche. Um, because, you know, third-party sales have, have been so frequent and are oftentimes what the business owner has thought of as their eventual uh, succession plan or exit. But, you know, since I like the term maximum value that we talked about earlier, maybe maximum value for some of your owners involves the dollars and cents they get, but also the legacy they leave at the company, right? And its ability to kind of keep growing and keep going without them. That they've got the management team there to do it. Maybe the maybe it's a family business and there's no more family members to be the next generation leader. This could be a way to keep the family name on the door, but have it be employee owned. Yeah, I, you know, is this a matter of of lack of information or the reason that there's not as many ESOPs is you know for some other reason? I think it's the former. I think it's. People don't understand that this is a viable option. You just need to understand what makes it optimal for for transfer. And I think that's what you guys have uh, have shared. Yeah, I think that I, I would agree with that, Ed. I would I would say that a lot of people know what ESOPs are. Maybe they've heard about them, but don't really know the details of how they work. And maybe they discount it right away and say, "There's no way that will ever work for me." Uh, I mean, Andy and I do a lot of education to uh, potential ESOP companies that are looking at it. Uh, We may give uh, 10 of those presentations and maybe two of them go forward with a feasibility study. And I always like to say, you know, if I'm a carpenter and I've got a hammer in my toolbox, not everything looks like a nail. And sometimes an ESOP is just not the right solution. And, and, And Andy and I will be very forthcoming on that. You know, we love ESOPs, but hey, this this isn't going to work because of X, Y, and Z and uh, the way we feel about it. But uh, it, it can be a very good tool uh, and, you know, used in the right hands for the right purposes to accomplish what a, what a owner is looking to do. Explain the process. I'm a business owner. I think I, I, I want to explore an ESOP. I pick up the phone. I call the two of you. Tell me, tell me what's going to happen next. Sure. I think that uh, a logical place to start would be that feasibility study. You know, uh, KSM kind of defines that for them as evaluation plus, right? Because valuation is a big hurdle. You know, will the company stock be valued in an ESOP deal at a price that the business owner is willing to sell it for? So that's a bit of a threshold um, matter. But it's not only about valuation. It's about feasibility in terms of if that's the price that can be paid, Will the company cash flow that price? It has to be able to uh, leverage, you know, to buy that stock from the owner and pay back that loan with interest over time. And will that leave the company in a good position? So our feasibility study looks at that and looks at what the after transaction cash flows might be like and how that would be repaid. And we want to look at that from a couple of different stakeholders' perspective, from the stakeholder of the owner. What's in it for them? from the stakeholder of the company. You know, can it survive and thrive repaying this debt? And then finally, from the stakeholder perspective of the employee, if this thing does what it's supposed to do, how much stock will I be allocated and how much will that look like as a percentage of my salary each year? What kind of employee benefit 
is being created for me. So I think truly you got to look at it from all those three points of view of those stakeholders, the shareholder, the company, and the employees uh, to make a good go or no go decision. But it's all 100% confidential, right? You're, you're not going and climbing over my over my business, talking to the employees, talking to customers, because I, I, I think from a, an exit planning standpoint, that'll, that'll really botch up uh, <laughs> someone's business in a hurry. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Yes, everything we're doing is going to be confidential. In fact, it's uh, oftentimes the case where we're working on this with the owner and maybe one, maybe their financial person in their business, and that's all they want to have. That's the exclusive group of people that know about this ESOP idea at first. So we can work in a very confidential way um, at first to help the business owner assess their thoughts uh, before they would proceed on any path. Okay, so so the process is we do a feasibility study, we give the go-ahead, we move forward with it, it, the ESOP gets deployed. Now what happens? Well, I know there's some oversight with the fiduciary or with the trustee uh, that has a fiduciary responsibility to the ESOP. Now there's also ongoing ongoing maintenance of the ESOP to to reevaluate annually. Is there any anything else besides the the business valuation each year? Uh, well, well, there is, and, and maybe we should back up just a minute to talk a little bit about the ESOP team because once you've once you've created this feasibility study, uh, you know you're doing a transaction much like uh, much like any other transaction. So there's going to be a team of professionals that are going to need to be in place to take us from feasibility to an ESOP. You're going to need to hire ESOP counsel um, to help establish the ESOP legally and set it up. Uh, you're going to need, we've talked about this trustee, you're going to need to hire a trustee, which company will do that. Uh, you're going to need to hire a valuation firm to value the stock for the transaction. What Andy does with his feasibility study is to approximate where the value is going to come in from the valuation firm to give the business owner an idea what what an ESOP trustee is going to accept as an offer to sell the company and the trustee accept. He's going to rely on that valuation person. You're likely to have your corporate counsel involved in the transaction also, and you'll also need a, a third-party administrator to, to get in line to do some of the studies that preliminary will need to be done as you're forming the ESOP, not only be the record keeper for the employee's uh, benefit accounts going forward, but also to do some testing heading in to make sure that the ESOP is going to be properly diversified uh, along those lines. Of course, you're going to have to find a banker that is familiar and comfortable with ESOP transactions and doing those. So working with those professionals and getting an ESOP transaction done is probably first and foremost. So once you form that ESOP, uh, things that might be different from what you what the business owner has been used to in the past in operating his company, he will be getting that annual valuation, determine the valuation share, and working with that third-party administrator. Um, a lot of times because there's been debt taken on to form the ESOP, if the company was doing no uh, assurance work on their financial statements, they'll step up to either probably a review or even an audited financial statement. So that will be something new and different as an ESOP company that you may or may not have had before. You're going to be engaging with your ESOP counsel from time to time as things come up. Uh, if you have over 100 participants in your ESOP plan, you're going to have to have that plan audited. Uh, that you may not have had a plan or an, an ERISA plan or benefit plan that was audited before. 
And so that that will be new in the process also. Is there a is there a benchmark like five percent of revenue is is a good number that that you should back out of your your ongoing cash flow as I'm just trying to figure out if a business owner is sitting there saying, all right, if I've got a million dollars in EBITDA and it's going to cost me 200 grand each year to, to administer the ESOP. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I, that number would be awfully high. No, I, I don't think the administration costs, the carrying costs are going to be, uh, there'll be a fraction of that because you do have to pay a valuation firm. As Mark said, you got to pay that trustee if you want to have an outside trustee and we recommend that. Then there's that plan administrator and occasionally the lawyer. But we often ballpark the sum of those for, let's say if you're a million dollar EBITDA company, oh gosh, 40 to $50,000 will be those carrying costs. So much less lower, but there are carrying costs, you know, cause you're administering a, an employee benefit plan. By the same token, if you're an S corporation and your ESOP buys 100% of the stock, um, you know, on a million dollars of EBITDA, you might pay, oh gosh, let's say 300,000 of tax or 250,000 of tax. Well, if I'm going to spend 50 of the administrative costs, let's say on the high end and not pay hundreds of thousands of dollars of tax, that's a pretty good deal. Totally, totally agree with you. Well, my last question, I want to be sensitive to, to your time, uh, but my last question is if you had one piece of advice to give to our listeners that would have the most immediate impact on the value of their business, what would it be? That's a good question. Um, I think pay attention to like who's on the bus. I think let's, let's bring that issue back around. That's true whether it's an employee-owned uh, solution you go with with an ESOP or a third-party sale. Um, you know, invest in your own team. Uh, even if that means paying someone more, paying them for training, don't be afraid to lock up those employees you know, with a good uh, uh, golden handcuff plan or, or promise them a, a portion of the proceeds when you sell uh, someday. You know, there's any number of ways you can um, work with your advisors to incentivize and retain your key people. But uh, in, in a workforce that's increasingly um, hard, to, where it's hard to find good employees, I don't know how many now hiring signs I saw the, over the, you know, the past weekend just driving around. You know, you're going to be, you're going to be, um, you know, shorthanded if you can't find and retain good employees. Increasing your value for potential sale, be it to an ESOP or a third party. I mean, those those things you should look at are going to be the same in either case. And you know, uh, Andy brought up good points, but also, you know, looking at your processes and procedures, and you know, it's kind of a vanilla term. See if there's any fat in your organization that you can you can trim out. We all talk about modifications to EBITDA, expenses that you wouldn't have, uh, that a third party or an ESOP wouldn't have going forward that should be added back. But inefficiencies in your business are usually not identifiable as easily, and correcting those uh, before you enter a sales process is going to be pretty important in maximizing not only a sale to a third party, but what your valuation would be in an ESOP transaction. Yeah, I agree. So what's the best way we can connect with you guys? Well, I'd encourage uh, everyone to look at our website, uh, you know, www.ksmcpa.com slash ESOP. Uh, there are some white papers that our group uh, has published to kind of help everyone read a little more about the topic first. Um, we've got a white paper that serves as a beginner's guide to ESOPs, explaining how the transaction works. 
There's one that helps you take stock of the option and see where you fit. There's also a white paper that uh, covers the uh, feasibility study uh, topic I mentioned in greater detail. So I think that there's some great reading. I would encourage everyone to check out right away and um, be happy to work with, uh, with, with Ed and, and, and with, with any business owners that want to uh, consider the option. Because as I said, it won't fit everybody. Mark said, you know, just because we have a hammer, not everything's a nail. But by the same token, I will be happy if all business owners at least think about it and then assess it. And if that happens, we will have more employee ownership in America than we've ever had. And that's going to be good for the economy. It's going to be good for the owners. And it's going to be good for our workers. Well, you guys, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. And I apologize for, for going over a little bit. But uh, it, it's, it certainly was well worth the time on, on my end. And I, and I, I can't thank you enough for, for taking the time to share with, uh, with our folks and being defenders of business value. Well, we appreciate, Ed, you taking the time to talk with Andy and I. Uh, we've enjoyed it. We've enjoyed it. And getting me to talk less about ESOPs is a challenge that you have faced, sir. <laughs> getting me to not talk about it is a difficult thing. So I'm glad we, we kept it under an hour. Well, you know what? Let's do it again sometime. We, we'll, we'll have ESOP, right. ESOP Part 2. All right, guys. I like it. Thank you for joining us today on the Defenders of Business Value podcast. If you're preparing your business for sale now or in the future, visit www.valuebuilders.us to begin your journey to maximum maximum saleable value. And if you want more episodes jam-packed with strategies to maximize value of your business, visit defendersofbusinessvalue.com. Better yet, subscribe now so you don't ever miss an episode. This program is copyrighted MySo Incorporated. All rights reserved.